Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. In the street, they call it murder. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Bill Graham. Woo! We also have Rob and Barr. Woo! <laughs> Robin uh, is suffering from heavy allergies, so if she is a little, I don't know, downbeat, down tempo today. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> you sound exactly like one of your nerdy crushes. That is accurate. <laughs> oh boy! Oh god! My orthopedic shoes didn't come in, so I. <laughs> no, that is Nick Cage in in Peggy Sue Got Married. <laughs> like everything out of his mouth, I'm always like Peggy Sue, ugh. and you're like, oh yeah, she definitely wants to bang him. Definitely. Is that you saying it as a joke until it becomes real? <laughs> No, in the movie, she's like, oh, like, whatever his name is, Nick Cage, Nick Cage, and he's talking like this the whole time. It's just like, no, no woman would ever be into that except for me. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you recognize the unreality of it, even as it is your reality. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, we are joined today by a special guest to help us talk about the film Memories of Murder. It's Ingu Kang. Hi. Hello. How are you? Um, I'm good. Awesome. Yeah. The last time you were on the podcast, we were here talking about uh, Beneath the Silver Lake. Under the Silver Lake? I said it one wrong. Of those two ti- <laughs> one of those two titles is definitely the case. Yep. Yeah. And, um, happy to be back. Now you're back. Uh, would you like to tell the uh, people at home a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. I don't know, like, what type of thing I'm supposed to say. My name is Ingu. Um, I guess a lot of people know me as a critic for The Hollywood Reporter. Um, I have... Bong Joon-ho is one of my favorite directors, so I'm really excited to talk about this movie, especially because it is sort of like his big uh, breakthrough film as a director, if not sort of like a known quantity internationally just yet. Um, and it just like made me really happy to revisit this film. So I'm really excited to talk about it. Awesome. Uh, one of our, I mentioned your podcasting go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, and then I guess like, I always think that we have like 17 listeners for the podcast that I do with my friend, uh, Daniel Schrader, uh, the podcast is all about Almodovar, about the films of Pedro Almodovar. Uh, but I guess we actually have more than 17. So that's nice. It is always nice when you have more than 17 listeners on the podcast. <laughs> I look forward to the day when we have more than 17 listeners on this podcast. <laughs> You'll um, get there one day. Yeah, yeah. We just keep <laughs> plugging away. Episode four something and one of these days... You, you know, we always get that bump on Mother's Day, you know. Yeah, the, the Mother's the Day bump. Always... <laughs> that does make me wonder, like, why memories of murder and not mother on Mother's Day, but... 
Yeah, I um I thought the of that. Release. <laughs> and I um I only realized it after I'd finished watching Memories of Murder cuz of course like it pops up I think on Hulu it's like, "Hey, you watch this. Why don't you watch Mother now?" And I was like, "Why didn't we watch Mother?" But I think it's <laughs> the fact that uh Memories of Murder got a Criterion Collection release and it's on Hulu and uh it's very good and uh that's that's the reason, I guess. Wow, you liked something Mazeltov. I liked the Tree of Life. I apparently like the classics, and I just all the new movies are terrible. Which is that why is we the, haven't done a new movie in a while. Old man yells at cloud. I was about to say this is also our like second or third. This is our second week in a row of like ignoring possible new releases to just do a classic that's seemingly universally loved. There's a I mean, all for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Like, we're not going to... We didn't do The Mitchells versus The Machines, a children's movie that I should probably watch with my four-year-old daughter, but have still not done. And um, and then stuff came out this week, and we didn't talk about it either. So we're here to talk about Memories of Murder. And um, You're I'm not salty at all. About what? Wrath of Man. I want to see it. I Like, we don't have to talk about it. But again, like, if we don't... If we, I've said this a couple times now. If it's not a movie that we're talking about in this podcast, I cannot carve out the space in my life to go see it. Isn't so. that why, like, married men have podcasts? I w- one day I'll have to find a married man and ask him. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. Oh man. Um. That probably though. It does seem like a lot of people just use a podcast as a reason to make it seem like their hobby isn't just something they do for fun. Which is a, a sad state, a sad commentary on our modern lives. Um, speaking of sad commentaries on modern lives, uh, we're here to talk about memories of murder. Uh, before we get into that, though, the usual stuff, you can follow us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, email us podcast filmstage.com, and of course, you can rate and review us on iTunes. You can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash filmstage show for as little as $1 an episode. You get access to our Slack channel where Robin shows off all of her food. And, of course, <laughs> first crack at all of our raffles. And we are brought to you today by Mubi, which I talked about at the beginning of the episode. Uh, it is the curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. Every day Mubi premieres a new film, whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece. It's guaranteed to either be a movie you've been dying to see, or one you've never heard of before. And there's always something new to discover. They've got um, a special going on right now. Uh it's called Cliffhangers, a mountaineering double bill. Um, shockingly, despite being called Cliffhangers, it does not include the movie Cliffhanger, which I find to be unconscionable. But that being said, it does include North Face from 2008 and Maru, um, which is climber director Jimmy Chin's, uh, who did Free Solo. Vertigo inducing imagery captures his team's relentless drive to complete the first ever ascent of Maru Peak's shark fin, which is also known as the Anti-Everest. So if you are interested in mountain climbing or just want to see people risk their lives for the pursuit of nothing more than having said that they did it, then this is the series for you. So be sure to check that out. Uh, they also have uh, Beeswax, which is being restored by them. This is the Mumblecore film from Andrew Bajalski. And it is on Mubi right now. So if you would like a free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. And that is it. Um, anything else to talk about before we get into our review? Any of you guys have anything interesting to say? Yes. Uh-oh. 
But. Chevy Chase's real name is Cornelius <laughs> Crane Chase. <laughs> he is named after <laughs> he was named after Cornelius Vanderbilt Crane, heir to the Crane Company. So that's all I'm gonna say. The, wait, what is the, the Crane Company? Is that is that the paper company? Uh, it is. Crane it's an industrial products company. It's bathroom fixtures. Oh yeah, no, that's a different fixtures. thing. No, because my my favorite anyway. <laughs> my favorite paper company <laughs> is called all Crane. Sorts of stuff. Yeah, ah. but it's not the same Crane. Um, and of course, shout out to uh, my favorite Crane, Doctor Fraser Crane. Hmm. Anyway, now that I've done that, uh, let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk about memories of murder, <laughs> the two thousand and three film from director Bong Joon-ho. And um, we're here to talk about it. This will be a considered a classic episode, despite the fact that this is the first time that this film has been widely available in the United States. So be aware that this will be a spoiler-free for all for a movie based on a true <laughs> story um, that actually had an update very recently. So just have all that going on in your head as we walk into this. And um, also don't forget that this movie is available on Hulu right now. So if you uh, would like to see it before listening to us talk about it, it is there for you to check out. Before we you get into it. A, a free well, trial on that as well. Sorry. There's there's a free trial of, on Hulu? Yeah. There's like a 30 day. I signed up for that. Oh, well, isn't that nice? Uh, but they are not a sponsor, so I will be cutting out you saying that. <laughs> anyway, here is part of the trailer for Memories of Murder. So that is part of the trailer for Memories of Murder. Let is that us... a new trailer? Uh, yeah, it was released by Neon. So okay, because just the music, the way it was like cut with those like hack slash kind of cuts, I was like, that sounds very modern for a film that came out in like two thousand. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, the 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 like diegetic percussion type stuff. Yeah, yes, no, that's yes. Okay, that's a real twenty twenty trailer right there. Um. Anyway. Let's uh, talk about this movie. We begin, as always, with our guest uh, doing our nutshell thoughts. So, Ingu Kang, what did you think of Memories of Murder? I love this movie. This, like, A-cab masterpiece. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, I feel like it has so many um, elements of Bong Joon-ho's work that I love so much one of it one of them being sort of the way that he loves to uh, sort of like lurch you from tone to tone um I love that this is sort of at least to me what it feels sort of like a police procedural that is like that works as both a police procedural and sort of like a commentary on how we tend to view cinematic procedurals um and I loves just sort of like the way this movie is really desaturated of all color and really de-glamorizes police work in a way that like I find really interesting and really uh, important. And I also 
I, I mean, like, I think Bong Joon-ho can basically be relied to sort of bring in leftist or left-leaning commentary. And I don't know how much you guys got into this, but I think it was only upon this particular second watch for me where I sort of had much more of an inkling of how much he was doing commentary about the, uh, basically like the Korean dictatorship of the 1980s, uh, since I think a lot of this movie takes place in 86, 87. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, basically Korea got democracy in 88. And so much of this movie has to do with just all of the various uh, failures of the state and its institutions, which is always a, uh, which is almost always a Bong Joon-ho theme, but I don't know. It's sort of like getting like reacquainted with like a person that you likes, like real basic, like most essential form of like what that person gives you. And it was just a really nice revisit. Um, I have, I have seen all of Bong Joon-ho's movies and I've sort of talked and I think like a couple of years ago when Parasite came out, I rewatched um, all of this filmography to write a piece about it um, in Slate. And uh, yeah, so just like having done that and like now recontextualizing this movie for myself within the context of this larger work, um, you just like get all of that really good stuff, man. Absolutely. All right. Rob and Barr, what about yourself? Yeah, I had never seen this movie before, but I was very excited. Um, really enjoyed Parasite, Snowpiercer less so. Um, I also, you know, I, I enjoyed the host. Thank you. <laughs> I was going to ask what your least favorite of Crazy. his Crazy. I love Snowpiercer. <laughs> Snowpiercer by far is my least favorite of us. We should, we, uh, man, do we even have the time and the energy <laughs> to get into all of us ranking the ones that we've seen? Because I think Okja is like just god awful like terrible snowpiercer schwartz no oh, i do not believe that <laughs> um so i uh, i what to make of it i knew nothing about this film i knew nothing about the case and we just my husband and i watched it uh kind of went in without any information and um it it really got under my skin i remember um as i was watching it sort of you know, you're bouncing between all the different tones, like you were saying, Ingu, and there's, there's so much satire and comedy and violence and fear and political, um, political critique and commentary, although I didn't, I don't have as much context about, about the sort of overall nation of Korea at this time. Um, but it's very clear that the that the dichotomy is that he's trying to bring out um, and trying to bloom here, like the the urban versus rural environments, education versus uh, being undereducated, and the the resentment between those two parties was very interesting to me. I also was really paying attention to women were portrayed and used in the film. Um, which I'd love to talk a little bit more about since the, since the film is about uh, the serial rape and murder of women and how <laughs> women are sort of, you know, in the background of the film there, I wouldn't, I don't want to go as far to say they're generalized because I think it's a very intentional choice on the director's part. 
but I was just so interested in how, how these women are sort of um, secondary to what is going on internally for the, for the, the detectives who are on this case and the, like you were saying, Ingo, the institutions um, and what they represent. So I thought it's so rich in all of these different textures. And as soon as we finished it, I was like, this is a movie I'm going to have to watch again at some point um, to be able to fully understand the details that he's providing here because he's um, the director. I think Inga, you talk about this in your, in many of your pieces that you've written, but he's the kind of director where he is going for so many different ideas and so many different approaches and details and um, you know, everything from production design to the music to everything. He's, he's saying something with every single choice. So I know I missed a lot by watching it. Um, And of course, knowing the end also will change my viewing again. So I, I was uh, really happy with, with this film. And uh, it, it does feel like, as you were saying, Ingo, it's not, it's like a crime procedural, but it's also a, a critique or a commentary on them. And I would love to do a pairing of this with Silence of the Lambs, because I think they both kind of go for very similar cheekiness um, and, and, um, and camp on one hand and sort of satire on the other. And I think they're just both wonderfully done and they would pair well together as a, as a viewing. All right. Bill Graham. Yeah. So I hadn't seen this film either. And um, I am a big fan of, of Bong Joon-ho and uh, I've, I've liked everything that I've seen from him. Uh, I haven't revisited some of his earlier works yet. Um, I've just kind of maintained what, what I started with was basically the host when he came to kind of my, my knowledge at least. Um, and so I've been wa- following his career um, and I didn't know what to expect from this, but what I had heard a snippet of it about this film was basically that it takes the procedural and it takes the cops that are kind of like not very good cops in a way and actually shows that they also don't uh, do good investigations either. Like there's not like a turn that you expect in this film and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, they're just shitty cops and they stay shitty cops. Like they, they don't miraculously like solve the murder. And so I really enjoyed that aspect of, of kind of turning this usually heroic moment where they find the murderer and they find the killer and they do all this stuff. And it's like their redemption arc right because they were shitty people and now they at least you know solved the crime it's like nah fuck that so i really enjoyed that aspect of this film um other than that uh you know korean cinema in particular uh is fairly well known for having you know big shifts in terms of tone and things of that nature and Bong Joon-ho has long been lauded as someone that like really, really has his has a handle on that kind of stuff. Um, can play with tone within scenes, within you know sections of the film and things like that, and it's just shown off here really, really well. Um, I also enjoyed the fact that like this long. Uh, 
rant that uh, the main character goes on about why uh, the FBI is the way they are in America versus, uh, you know, the mm. officers in Korea. Uh, I thought that was hilarious. And uh, yeah, I I uh, really, really enjoyed this film. Yeah, it's it's I, I really enjoyed the film as well. And there's a lot that can be spoken about it both formally, you know, in terms of its aesthetics and everything, and, and then in, in terms of what it's trying to say that I'm sure we'll get into. Um, I like, like everyone else, seemingly, I, I love the fact that, like, we're looking at cops that are not particularly good at their job and don't even appear to want to be good at their job. Um, I, I remember reading a book about uh, the Midnight Assassin in Austin, Texas, and... Um, it took place at a time like before the concept of like police investigation was a thing. Um, basically this person was going around and murdering a bunch of people with an ax. And at that time, if someone got murdered, basically you'd say like, Oh, well it's probably the husband or, you know, the lover or something like that's, there wasn't this conception of even having, something like a serial killer, like someone who would kill for no reason or for gratification of some means other than like immediate greed, you know? And, um, it was interesting to see that same kind of thought process kind of placed into this context and to see these two provincial cops whose basic idea was like, we have to close this case by finding the person who seems the most obvious and making them admit it. Um, for for seemingly just no reason other than that that's how they deem themselves as doing a good job um and then you have the the city cop who comes from seoul and has a bit more of an investigative mindset and and is able to you know draw conclusions from clues and and come to some good actual conclusions but is still powerless because like that's just not the way that the country is set to work like that's just not what they're doing yet and um, watching that play out in what appears to be, you know, it, it takes place in the 80s, but is still ostensibly like a modern context is really, really interesting. Um, in addition to just the, the other myriad ways that, you know, Bong Joon-ho is able to make almost any scene interesting. Like the way that the, almost like the way that it's not even the police, but it's also just the people. Um, mm -hmm. so, some review that I read and so God only knows how true it is, says that this is like the first, one of the first, like truly understood instances of a serial killer in South Korea. And so there's just like this complete and utter unknowability to what's going on and no one knows how to deal with it. So like, <laughs> so people are just trampling all over a crime scene and someone drives a tractor over a footprint and like there's just it's it's like it's hard to even explain it's like if some new level of crime happened in your neighborhood and no one even could understand it and so everyone just made it a million times harder to figure out what was going on and, that's, and also just that like not only that you sort of have this supposed eden for the concept of a serial killer um, sort of became a thing that people realized that they had to worry about. But also the fact that you have this like really intense media interest 
mm-hmm. in the case, right? So this is a thing that like everyone is consuming. I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but there's oh, that's fun, yeah. a woman who like one of the cops discovered, the city cop discovers like is a a victim who somehow escaped or just like was spared for whatever reason and she is like basically living with this trauma of almost having been murdered and she's just like while she is tied up um and basically waiting to die like she's cataloging the ways that like what is happening to her uh, matches up with like everything that she read about the killer mm-hmm. and like that sort of adds this like extra layer of horror in like that uh awareness um and yeah yeah it's, I, it's yeah it reminded me a little bit of um the son of sam killings um mm. just in the way that like people start writing themselves into the narrative of an active serial killer um you know just the way that uh the people in new york like women like started dyeing their hair because there was an assumption that he was picking women of a certain hair color and just things like that you know you 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 start looking for the the things that match you to the type of person who this might happen to and you start trying to alter them and if you're in a situation you start to say like okay here's a checklist of everything that could mean that i'm about to be murdered and yeah it's it's horrifying and it's it's crazy and i think that seeing the way that the the media exacerbates all of the the moral failings of the police by like just continuing to exert pressure on them is just also incredible like there's so many interesting aspects of this film that it almost feels like i did it a disservice by only watching it once before you know coming onto this <laughs> podcast but at the same time like it's that's why there's four of us <laughs> So I don't think I could have watched it again right away. It was it was not that I usually am bothered by violence, but at some point I was just like jumping out of my skin because it was becoming way too much. And I think the scene where uh there was a And you really bro- and yet at the same time like you barely see anything at all. Yeah, no, it's it's all right. it's, it's very it's, there's no blood, there's no horror. It's the anger. It's the it's the relentlessness. And Inga, you kind of pointed this out um, where there is a, there's something happening between the people in the state that he is capturing here. And I, and that scene where they're in the uh, meat restaurant, the, the grill restaurant, and you're just watching people sort of be on TV protesting. And there are people in the restaurant who are like basically saying, fuck the police and the police, or like at least one of the policemen who's kind of the wild card, just starts beating the shit out of everybody. And I was like, enough already. Like, I can't watch this. The, like, it's not he bloody. Is, it's- <laughs> he's the greatest wild card on earth because his go-to move is to leap into the air <laughs> and yeah. kiss people with both feet. It's just, it's the, it's insane. It's insanity. It's It's the craziest goddamn thing. Yeah, um, he thinks he's he's like a walking Bruce Lee. Like he just comes in with a flying kick and you're just like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, that that interrogation scene where he breaks it up by just kicking the guy. You're just like, "What the fuck is going on?" Right. And it's not the wildness of it, it's the anger, it's the just it's the wanting to hurt somebody for no reason that was just mind-blowing for me. Um I don't think it's for no reason. I think part, uh, this is of course in no way excusing 
what uh, they're doing, but you can just like feel their frustration mm-hmm. at like their own inability to solve this case mounting. And basically like they are so humiliated by their own incompetence and also their inability to sort of like come to terms with their incompetence because they clearly sort of have these like lofty ideas about who they are. And so when you have a case like this, where it's just utterly impossible to solve, then they start taking out their anger like on innocent people in town. And so you sort of have like this predatorial serial killer who is like, uh, you know, like obviously uh, creating this like note of terror in the town. And then at the same time, the people around the town also have to be afraid of like the cop's anger, Mm -hmm. like on top of it. Um, and so I think, yeah, like, I I love the fact that, like, this is, like, the particular, like, aspect of the cops and, like, the aspect of, like, the genre of, like, the police procedural that Bong Joon-ho focuses on. Um, I'm going to get into just, like, a little bit of, like, the historical context, and I can't say that, like, I'm a super expert on a lot of this stuff, but, like, two scenes seem really relevant to me here. One is, uh, so basically, this film takes place in, like, the waning years of, like, South Korea's last modern dictator, and there's, like, a scene where, uh, basically, uh, pro-democracy protesters are being brutalized by the cops and then you realize like it's a lot of the same cops that are supposed to be investigating this crime mm-hmm. and then of course there's like a moment where uh the our central trio start noticing that like the song that like the serial killer is supposedly obsessed with starts playing on the radio and it starts to rain and they're like oh shit there's gonna be another one and so the police chief uh calls for backup so that they can start canvassing the town and it turns out like they can't actually bring any cops over because they're like all somewhere else like trying to quell another protest and so uh yeah i mean so much of this is just sort of like this uh double like both the failure of like the police to like solve the crime but also the police taking out their anger like upon the people that they're supposedly serving and protecting. Um, and I think it's relevant that like the scene that uh, Robin alluded to in the restaurant and also just like think of the like like brain melting entitlement that you have to have in order to like first grab this uh, suspect, who, like the, the first suspect in the movie, who is this like young man who is co- who has a cognitive disability and basically they like torture him they get a false confession out of him and then they have the gall to go back to his father's restaurant and just like <laughs> e- repeat patrons at that restaurant like mm-hmm. you have to have balls of steel in order to do that and then not only to be repeat customers there and expect to be served apparently without like you know any spit in your food and then like when the angry cop uh 
<laughs> well, they're all angry, but like the angriest. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the, fly, the, the, the flying It's the only cup. personality with anger. <laughs> when that guy starts like going after uh, the, I mean, like he's like angry and he starts like beating up on the patrons in the restaurant, but it's not like a random attack. He's like going after specifically like one of the women and basically like he accuses her of like sleeping with a professor and college students and mass were pro-democracy protests and so a lot of this is just sort of again sort of like the failures of like the police on multiple fronts in order to like not only keep uh, a town like as safe as possible but sort of like being like the perpetrators of arbitrary violence in the town i guess it's not really even arbitrary yeah. since they're obviously going after like leftists yeah yeah i mean when i said uh, for no reason i mean obviously there is a reason why they're doing this and it's exactly what you're saying which is the that feeling of impotence and acting out. Um, but when I, but what I think I was referring to more as like the, what I found very shocking was the violence against where there's basically a torture room, like in the yeah. police station, yeah. <laughs> like that almost like, how does this happen? Like, how do you string up a suspect? I get this. If you know, a mafia movie, you know, I've seen stuff like that before, but just knowing that it was within the context of the state, as you're saying. Um, and for me, I don't have a lot of uh, knowledge of government works in South Korea or just even, you know, police work. And so my first thought was like, not even realizing how incompetent they were. My first reaction was like, oh, this is just the culture, like this is how it is. <laughs> and then it took me a while to realize, well, uh, no, like they're just, they're bad at their jobs and it's, it's nothing to do with, or maybe it's everything to do with the technology and forensics and the sims and the structures that make it, make it work. And I think Bill, you pointed out the scene where he's discussing why the FBI is quote unquote successful in the US and it has to do with I don't know he was saying it was like the space like you just have more ground to cover or something like that and I, that scene was very funny but yeah yeah it took me a while to realize that this is uh much bigger than just sort of like some quirky sense of people getting beaten up you know also for like a shaman so that like the face of the murderer can be revealed on a piece of paper <laughs> yeah. like... well i yeah i figured it out by then by the okay. way I, like um, the first like five minutes where i was just like oh wait a minute it, it is like almost a um an in an inquiry into the way that you move from uh, I, this is the wrong terminology, but like small community policing, which, you know, has a different meaning now. But like in the old days, like everyone just knew everyone, you know. So like if, if something mm -hmm. happened in a town, you know, you'd you'd be able to round everyone up and be like, well, you know, Jimmy's been acting weird. And you go to Jimmy and Jimmy's got the horse and then you beat up Jimmy, you know. But like as the Mayor of East Town, that's like the exact <laughs> point of that show yes. <laughs> if anybody's watching it i uh, i watched the first episode i'm looking forward to watching the rest of it but also like 
uh, even even I, who loves to imbibe nothing but tragedy, has his limits. Oh boy! <laughs> so I haven't been able to go back for the second episode. But yeah, it is it is something like that where you've just you've got a handle on everything, and then you meet something like this, or like I brought up the uh, the, the midnight assassin on Austin. That's so outside of the norm that you don't know how to handle it, and so like maybe finding someone and beating a confession out of them works if you actually know that it's the guy and you also know that he's a piece of shit and he's not going to cop to it it's not an effective or moral way to do it but like that is a thing that could work up until the point where you meet someone who is smart enough to leave no evidence and compelled through some sort of weird compulsion to do things in a certain way and suddenly you are so far out of your depth. And it's interesting that this movie brings in the investigator from Seoul, who his arc is basically to turn into the type of guy who, you know, sneers at these people for doing that kind of stuff and then becomes that person and has to be stopped mm-hmm. by one of the people who has kind of come full circle and come out the other side and realized that, like, that's not how it is done anymore like that's just not they can't do it and um so it's 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 super it's super interesting it's it's really compelling just on top of how compelling it is to watch any kind of investigation um play out on screen well and to see fun that fact um super lighthearted note apparently Yay. in the 1990s four different people uh who were investigated by the uh, police for like the real life crime that crimes that this movie was based on um, apparently committed suicide uh, because the police hmm. had fucked up their lives so badly well one person was sent to jail right like I, yes. um, and I then read... another per- like a separate person who like who I think is supposed to be like the basis of like that first suspect with the intellectual disability that like a different person spent like 20 years in jail for one of the crimes and yeah. like completely innocently. And the killer who, by I guess, have we said it yet that the killer was finally caught at some point? <laughs> like not in the movie. I think you alluded to it. Yeah. But in, in real life, the killer was apprehended. Uh, I think it was DNA evidence and he was already in jail. <laughs> in 2019. Yeah. So this is super recent. And um, he apologized to the the guy and the family of the guy who went to prison for him <laughs> which is like oh, daylight and a dollar short bitch right like what <laughs> that's it's so i don't even like this the, now i'm kind of like the cops in this movie like i'm so blown away by that <laughs> like it's 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 i can't imagine the brain that exists to consider apologizing for that like what's happening like what is it i truly i read that and i did feel like um detective park at the end of this movie just staring into the camera being like i just don't even know what to do right now or maybe he feels more sorry for a man than like the 14 women he killed yeah, well, that I mean, he has to because he killed fourteen women, and he never killed sure a man. Did. Like yeah. it's, it's you know, he's like, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt anybody. It's like, well, what about the women? Sorry, well, they bro, don't, they don't count. <laughs> like, took one for the team. Yeah, 
It's so, it's so, I mean, it's, um, and this is, I mean, that, that, my reaction to that actual fact is honestly one of the things that keeps bringing you back to, to fiction or, you know, movies like this, you know, just that concept of like, Mm -hmm. what is going on in the, and you, you'll never know. Like, you know, even when you get an interview with, with one of these people, like you can never really trust what they're saying. But, um, I, I think I think that's something that you're kind of touching on, though, is, you know, you were you were saying that that's why you come to like these fictional things. But like that's based in reality, right? Like that's that's an actual thing that a a serial murderer actually did and like apologized mm-hmm. to the family that, you know, was wrongfully accused and put in jail for it. And it's like you can't you if you made that up. And put that into a movie or put that into, you know, whatever, people would just kind of laugh at it. But it happens in real life and all of a sudden you're you're like, ah, oh, fuck. Like, that's crazy. You well, know? It's, and I you always expect the writer of a movie to be better than the writer of reality. You know? It's um yes, there's yes. what's the it's a John Mullaney and Nick Kroll have that thing, uh, oh hello. Mm-hmm. And they they talk about the different endings of of plays on Broadway, and one of them is like, you know, just they they just have a conversation and it trails off, and you know, it's like you know, the basically saying like reality's not written well. Why should I try that hard? Mm-hmm. So you do you hold you hold cinema to a higher standard because you're like, come on, make it make it good, right? And then you get something like that, and it's like even if that is how it happens, sometimes you got to scale that back because it just becomes too much. You know, it's funny you mention it because I've been complaining to Ingu all week about a plot line in this TV show we're watching called Rutherford Falls. And it's thing that takes away like the whole point of the show when this reveal twist things happens. Mm-hmm. And then I was complaining to her like, oh, that's such a fucking clever writerly thing to do is have this particular type of twist occur. Um, it has to do with eternity. And Today, my best friend wrote me, and she, like, literally, um, like, t- an hour ago was like, we just found out that my grandfather is not the man we was because of genetic testing. So, you know what? It happens in real life. Like, what we think of as stupid um, screenwriter bullshit, you know, deus ex machina, you know? Your grandfather, your grandfather, there was, there was a love child and that was your dad. And, you know, I watched Buffy and there was this, <laughs> there was this like a famous scene like... where, where Buffy's, no, no, seriously, where Buffy's mom uh, gets a brain tumor and dies. And I watched that at age 17 or 16. And I said, it was fucking stupid. Nobody dies of a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. And then literally n- 10 months later my father dies of a brain tumor so you know what like it is real life like men men look out for men men don't give a shit about their rape victims and their murder victims and people do in fact die of brain tumors so it's crazy (laughs) as it turns out it's so like if I uh, this is slightly off topic, but um my my father you know did the whole ancestry dot com thing because he's gotten I they, like there must be something about when a human being hits a certain age, 
they start to become very invested in family history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, when did the first Rowans come to America? Like, how many of us died building the railroads? Like, how many of us were killed in stevedore accidents? You know, it's just like, how many Irish cliches can we n- knock off? Um, and, uh, and... I, I my brother and my sister and I were talking to each other and it's like we should uh we should do it too like you know because we got mom's side of the family and then they were like there was just this moment where I don't even remember who said it but it was like yeah but do you really want to do that like what if you find out something that you don't want to mm-hmm. know and it's like like what and it's just like you know what if like I'm not saying that we think that they'd do this, but like, what if, uh, what if, what if uh, dad's not our dad? And I was like, that's, first of all, we all look exactly like him. (laughs) But then again, you know, if my mother had a type, I guess we all would. So who knows? Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, it's very weird. And I did, when my grandfather died, I found out that he changed his name the day before his wedding. And uh, none of the things that I thought I knew about him were true. So that's interesting. Do, 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 do. I know. I do know somebody who, you know, she and her sister look alike and it turns out that uh her father the so her father's her dad and the man that raised her sister is her is her sister's biological uncle because i guess the mom had relations with both the both of the brothers i'm confused by everything that you just said (laughs) okay what (laughs) what i'm saying is she, she was raised you know she and her sister were raised in the same household but it turns out that her biological her sister's biological father was her uncle oh okay. or, or like her own uncle and yeah gotcha so you know there could be a reason why y'all look alike it's just what i'm saying dun 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 you know it's weird anyway um, the point is <laughs> the world is crazier than a writer could ever put together on paper oh yeah absolutely and i i think that you know that a lot of that plays into why especially i mean this movie this is going to be hacky to say but it's it reminded me a lot of zodiac while i was watching it Mm -hmm. feel free to throw rotten tomatoes at me for saying that but um people hate that movie no i i love zodiac but i'm just saying i didn't mean the rotten tomatoes website i meant literal (laughs) like old school i'm saying a stupid and unpopular thing and so like you know it just feels very basic to say that zodiac and this movie remind me of one another Mm -hmm. because they're like desaturated period pieces about people driven crazy by the inability to solve a crime but there, there is a lot there. There is a lot there in that. And it's it's interesting to see both because I think that what's weird is that Zodiac is almost like almost a polar opposite of this where there's too many clues and too many people who are too smart trying to come up to too many different solutions. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, it's just like we're pounding a wall and the wall isn't moving and we're becoming more furious and pounding it at harder. Yeah, and I kind of felt basic comparing it to Silence and Lamps, and I don't think they remind me of each other or something, but I think that their slyness does sort of match in some ways, and they are both commentaries on um, how, to some degree, how women are treated. And I, I was really curious if you guys noticed the, and especially you, Ingu, too, um, you know, if you noticed the the role of women in this film. I, I thought it was really fascinating to me um, that you have all of these women who are sort of in, in the background, but also extremely vital. Um, like there was this woman policeman who's basically treated as the secretary. Uh, you know, she's like, no, oh, here's this clue. And here's this clue. 
and they're like, just make, make me a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or the or uh, the wife of uh, um, the, I forget his name, the the bumpkin detective, um, played by Song Kang Ho, who at first I wasn't even sure if she was his wife. Like I thought maybe she was I don't think a woman. Were. He was just they're not they're not. No, I, I think I think eventually he settles down with her, and that's that's at her behest. Like, do anything but be a fucking detective, so I can like settle down with you, because otherwise you're fucking crazy. And but no, like he seemed to kind of suggest that everybody came to see her, which like to me kind of reads as like either using her as like a nurse or maybe both. Like he's kind of using her. I definitely thought she was a sex worker during that first scene. Um, But then at some point they sleep in the same bed together, like a husband and a wife would. And I was like, okay, they're they're married. I don't think you would like offer up your head for earwax to be taken out of your head by a sex worker. And that's like the scene that you see right after their sex scene. It depends what you're into. First of all, I mean, yeah, I was definitely thinking girlfriend experience. No, it's like a very like specific familial experience. So basically, what you. I'm saying is, you guys are wrong. First of all, I never said she <laughs> no, was a sex worker. No, of course I'm wrong. Only Robin's wrong. Of course wrong. I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should get that on a T-shirt or something. Only Robin's Only wrong. Only Robin's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, just like with uh, what uh, what else have you been wrong about? With Tree it misspelled. <laughs> with what, Bill? With it misspelled. R O B I N. Oh yeah, perfect. Right? Yeah, then yeah. it's not me. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. right. It's that stupid ass bird outside. Anyway, um, <laughs> so yes, the uh, the role of women in this movie. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard not to to be really drawn in by the fact that they treat the uh, the female the like seemingly the only female police worker so poorly when she is like on the ball about so many things I, I i did i did though appreciate that when they are trying to like quote unquote reenact the murder they have someone dress up as like the female victim instead of actually mm-hmm. making the female do that role yeah i guess that's which I, I was like i was like okay all right fair enough fine the female uh, but- <laughs> But but the other thing that they did was they definitely dressed her up in red and sent and her made out her the bait. And I was just like, couldn't you just do that with another male officer again? Like, what are we doing here? Like, why are why are we doing this? So apparently and, that was a real thing during the real life investigation, though. I mean, that makes they had a female cop do that. They had yeah. multiple female cops do that. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it, it reminded me of um, the movie The Brotherhood of the Wolf, where the wolf mm-hmm. is attacking women in the province, so they dress up a bunch of soldiers as women, hoping that the wolf will attack them. It's, you know, it is it is that kind of, you know, if, if, you only know, if you only know this person's type, then that's all you've got to go on to be, like, one step ahead of them. And hopefully, hopefully have have that advantage. Yeah. yeah. And and that's not to say that like, oh, a female officer can't defend herself or, or any of that shit. But it's just it, it is interesting to see how they are 
progressive in certain ways i guess i don't i, don't, I feel like that's giving them too much credit yeah regressive in all of these other ways you know and yeah the just the way that they treat her um particularly you know the the main character uh song kang ho's character um who you know we have to say is a very frequent uh collaborator with uh bong joon ho but the way that he treats her her theory of like (laughs) of of maybe the music is tied to this and like here's all this documents of like supporting this like it happens when it rains it happens right around the time of the murders and he's just like or maybe they just shaved their pubes. I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> Let me get a like, sauna subscription. Let me go to the sauna and check out every guy's dong just to see who does not like have a, you didn't call pubic it a hair for some you reason. You called it a subscription. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. I was just like, wow, this guy's just in his own bag about like his theories and his ideas. Like, no. And I guess it's because in this very small town, in a way, he maybe even is like the top dog detective, which, of course, is like, okay, cool. You you found the missing puppy. Like, I, I don't know what he's solving <laughs> if it's not like murders and stuff like that, because clearly he is completely out of his element with in terms of this stuff. Well, again, so, you know, back in the day, if you got murdered, it was probably by someone you lived with. Like, that sure, was like, exactly that was it. It was kind of all like it, it's. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, or like the guy who you fired from your ranch came back, you know, to exact revenge. Mm-hmm. Like it's it, the, this this concept of like, <laughs> how many westerns do you watch? I, I don't, not a lot. I actually I love westerns, but there's not a lot of them. Um, but yeah, or you know, uh, not even a western. The the Clutter family in in Cold Blood. That's like based like they yeah. had a guy. He was a hand on their place, and then they he came back and he killed them. And he stole their stuff, and that's uh, what happened. You know, so yeah, like that is. Yeah, so that's not a Western, right? Yeah, it's real life once again. I know. It's not even that far west. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it really it it really is. It's that kind of thing where, um, you know, when my grandfather was a cop in New York, you know, it was it was a it was a good work that you could get without having to have had you know any kind of like formal education beyond a certain point. And, um, you know, but he, he was an educated man and he, he had served in World War II and he came home and he walked a beat and he was happy walking a beat. You know, he knew his section. Everyone knew him, you know, very good rapport with the community. Um, when he was on the beat, like nothing really happened. And he constantly said, like, if I ever write a novel or a memoir about my time as a cop, it would be like 24 years of nothing to report. Because, you know, every time he would show up at a place where, like, two guys were threatening to kill each other, he would walk up and be like, you know, Bernie, Alonzo, what the hell's going on? And they'd be like, oh, Tom, like, you know, this and that. And then they'd work it out. And then he would be like, okay, great. It's over. But, like... Did you make up, like, fan fiction about your grandfather? So, no. Alonzo! I mean, I'm just assuming, you know, I I picked, like, an Irish and Italian name. (laughs) Just (laughs) knowing the area. But I mean, West Side Story. I found one of his police logs when he passed and I was going through all of his stuff and it really was like, you know, traffic accident, you know, took statements, you know, nothing further to report. It was it was a lot of stuff like that. And like, 
you can get away with doing that. But if you had dropped him in the middle of a homicide investigation, he wouldn't know what to do. And that's why right. in this movie, it's interesting when they talk about how the um, the detective from from Seoul has a four year degree. And one of them's like, wow, four years, that's too long. Like it took me three years just to get out of like the ninth grade. Oh, yeah. It would, no, he said four years of the ninth grade. I yeah. thought that was such a great line. And, um, you know, it is that kind of thing. Like, it didn't used to require that much of you. And now the more that it's, it's, you've kind of figured out the science of detection, you know, the more it becomes something that needs to be done by someone who has something else going on. Like, that's why they now have criminal, you know, crim law degrees and it, it's, it's forensics. It's so funny, though. It's so funny, though, that you mentioned this when it's like I, I'm always blown away when a uh, investigator comes in to like take over a a murder investigation or whatever it is, missing persons, which usually ends up being a murder. But, you know, all of these things. And it's like the the way that the officers generally like turn on that person are like, fuck this guy or woman or whoever is coming in, like, like fuck them. They don't know. And it's like, dude, if, if you're in a normal job and you're struggling to finish a project and someone comes in who is basically like Superman and is like, Hey, give that to me. I will finish it and do it really well. Like what? What the fuck is wrong with you? A, this is a murder investigation, a ongoing serial killer, and it's like, do you not want this to stop? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you that you're like, oh, well, fuck this person. Like, it's, it's just, it blows my mind that, like, w- that someone is specially educated specifically to do this task, and you're like, fuck that guy. Yeah, but the point of the film is that even though he has that four-year degree, even though he has heard of, like, DNA evidence, um, even though he has all of these, like, other techniques and holds himself up to a higher standard, he isn't better. Like, he, well, the point of the I, movie is not that, like, he has any sort of superiority at all. Yeah, and sure. that's, that's I, what I, makes I was, it great. Wasn't... Like, he's he's marginally more effective to a point. But really, he he just adds another another victim that they wouldn't have known about before. But that doesn't that help much. The and... city cop does really well is to basically debunk the theories of the country cops. Like yes. I think, like they do, he does that really well. He like mm-hmm. comes up with a detail about like the webbed fingers, and that's why like the guy with the cognitive disability, the suspect with the cognitive disability, wouldn't be able to have like. Uh, basically made like the knots in the rope that like killed mm-hmm. one of the women or whatever. Like I think and the red dresses. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he, I think there was also like a point where he was like, there's going to be like a third victim and we just like haven't found the body. So it's yeah. not, yeah. but like, yeah, I mean like where it really counts, I think it really matters that like he isn't better but i think that's one of the things i really appreciate about this film so much about it is sort of like that disconnect between how we tell stories about cops and like what cops are at least in this case really like um i think there's like a very early scene where two of the cops and then like a guy with the cognitive disability that they've been torturing for what seems like days they all just like Mm -hmm. sit around to eat 
like lunch and watch a cop show and you have this like very heroic theme music and you know they're getting like really pepped up by this idea that they're like the good guys and um like the whole point of the movie is that like (laughs) they're not even neutral they're just sort of like actively bad people who are causing distress to the town um and I think that like the other thing I really love about this movie is that there's sort of this like idea that like, I mean, like from the point of the, from like the point of view of the movie, like, sure, this um, like you have sort of this uh, demystification of uh, this like Sherlock Holmesian figure who is a super uh, detective, but you but I think that there is sort of this, like, like a little bit of, like, a demystification of, like, the serial killer as, like, an archetype as well. You know, like, so many of our police procedurals, especially when they revolve around a serial killer, is really about sort of, like, narrativizing all of the hints and trying to give meaning to, like, his uh, M.O. And I think that one of the things I really like about this movie is that you have all of these like really weird details about the crime about the ways that like they find these like random objects in uh a couple of the victims vaginas for example and you have like this like very specific way of uh killing people of killing women and yet like there's never this like very like sort of like lofty or this like exoticized like tone about like oh this must have been like what they were thinking there's no profiling of the uh serial no killer. analysis yeah and like yeah. i think on the one hand you could say that was because you know like maybe they didn't have like the technology of profiling which in the u.s didn't really exist until the 1970s either but on the other hand i just appreciated that like i didn't have to hear a bunch of like bullshit or like any sort of like contextualization of like the killer yeah yeah Yeah, like they they find the peaches inside there and they're just like huh peaches that's weird. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 what's the symbolism of peaches? What's the symbolism of the death head moth? Right. I want I want Will Graham to come in and like, you know, say like, you know, in ancient Greece, peaches were blah blah blah. You know, some I love people... that we didn't have that. I yeah, love no, that like great. there isn't any of that like bullshit mythologization. Like it makes the horror uh and like the arbitrariness of the violence that much more existential and that much more like the horror is that like none of this shit has like any fucking meaning mm-hmm. yeah you know it's yeah you bring up a really great point which is when i first started watching or when the film began i definitely thought the um the city cop was going to be kind of what you're describing like this um this savant, you know, who is going to sniff out this killer and he's going to use all these, uh, like you said, Holmesian techniques and deductions and, you know, all the sort of pieces getting put together. Um, And instead he finds his way to his more baser nature um, or his more nature. And, and the film ends on a really haunting note, which is we don't, find out who the killer is and you have um song kang ho returning to the scene of the crime and having a conversation with a little girl 
and just kind of staring at the camera and you can interpret that in all sorts of ways but it's called memories of murder for a reason (laughs) you know (laughs) like it's it's not oh we are the heroes and we we um we went deep into our psyches to figure it out it's it sticks with you. This film's do because it it's like a cloud that still follows him and probably follows the city cop, although we don't really know what happens to him. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Ingo. It, it like you said, it demystifies this idea of the savant detective, and I I appreciated that. Um, I I know you said when you watched it with your friend, your friend kept thinking like, or you kept friend kept trying to guess who the killer was and i just laughed because i was like that's not the point that's like so far beyond the point of this movie even though of course i I was curious too but i I think one thing that's interesting is to think of uh and his name is the the actor is kim sang kyung i think um and his role in particular, he seems to be on such a straight and narrow path. And he has this kind of inciting moment where he loses track of his like key, uh, what is it? Suspect. Right. Mm -hmm. And his car won't start. And so he loses track of him. And then almost immediately, you know, a few hours later, that is when a murder takes place. And, it seems like that just sets him off in such a way that maybe if that if his car had started and he was able to just follow this guy home or whatever he did right um maybe he wouldn't have gone off the deep end the way that he does and i I'm thought he went curious. off the deep end because he had had this like very brief bonding moment with a middle school girl and then he had put like a band-aid on her back and then that little girl turns up dead and that's what set him off well yeah but i mean the only reason that so he he it's 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 a melding of the two because he loses track of the suspect that they're watching and then the girl dies and so he puts that together as like oh it must be because that guy is the killer and i let him go and that's the reason this girl is dead yeah Mm -hmm. so like it's it's that's my reading of it it's i mean it's 100 percent both and if he had stuck with him and been able to see him and then the girl died anyway he would have been able to let it go but it's you know what's crazy you know what's fucking nuts is that we watched a terrible movie earlier this year called the little things Mm -hmm. and this movie basically is the little things (laughs) except it's amazing and good and you know, it's it's nuts. It's crazy. It's it it's I was watching it, I was like, I cannot believe that this movie, you know, seventeen years ago, like pulled off what the little things tried to do and failed at miserably. And that's the Jared Leto in a bat suit movie. Yeah, that's if that's the way you need to think of that movie, then that's what you do. You go ahead and think <laughs> of that. Did he wear a fat suit? With, no one you know, knows. Uh, Okay, Lido, Lido, Mister, Mister, I do fucking weird shit all the time. Okay, I guess so. Mister, I really wish I was Christian Bale. (laughs) Let me put my body to the test. Yeah, Um, yeah. I mean, he his his weight in that movie is oddly distributed, but I cannot say whether or not it was a fat suit or not. But yeah, it's that it's that same basic thing of like if if you if you can't 
logic your way into a solution and if you're certain that this is the guy and you grow too close then you're gonna do some nuts and you're gonna lose your mind and i mean he gets like scientific evidence that that guy is not it and he like is so fixated on this idea that he essentially just says like well the evidence is wrong oh yeah yeah he's like that, that, you know that's, this document is a lie <laughs> Yeah, that's that's his absolute breaking point because that that was his like foundational principle up to that point was the documents don't lie. Like if you have enough documents to just kind of support your your case, then, you know, clearly you're right. And he keeps saying that he keeps repeating the phrase like the documents don't lie. And then he gets this document that he just can't mentally like wrap his head around. And it's like, all right, then this document is a lie. And it's like, wait <laughs> you know so it's it's definitely that breaking point for him but it it, it just it, that whole kind of point was i wonder if he has this kind of mental break if that incident doesn't happen and i don't know if he does well, i like, mean like brian was kind of saying i yeah. would say no you know because mm-hmm. he it part of his breaking point is thinking that he's failed this girl and while mm-hmm. you know failing to apprehend the killer quicker did cost her her life you know it's it's not a direct result of him falling asleep and letting this guy get on a bus you know mm-hmm. like that's it's two one step too close and um and yeah i mean he he basically comes to like well it's like i said earlier you know he comes to the place where the the provincial cops are to start off the movie where he's like i don't care what the evidence says like this guy is clearly fucking wrong he's a wrong person and he ha- he has to be dealt with like he's so obviously our guy. If he was any more our guy, he'd be wearing a shirt that says our guy on it. And I don't care what the evidence says. Like I have to do this. Like this is how we protect people. And and again, it's it's one of the cops who previously had that mindset that has to hold him back because he's finally realized like okay yeah everything is meaningless and I can't do this anymore. Like this this just I can't I can't handle this. So is that a redemption, do you think? No, I think... I wonder that myself. I don't know if it's a redemption. I mean, he's not going to keep beating innocent people anymore. But I think it's... I think it's a... I don't know. It's, um... You know, if you stop fighting an unwinnable war, is that, like... That only hurts people in a collateral? Is that, like... Mm. But you're still letting the evil win. <laughs> but now you're just not adding more evil into the situation. So maybe. I don't know. Uh... Inga, do you have any any insight into that? I sort of lost a train of thought. So um, we're asking you as an evil person, can you <laughs> define whether deciding to give up and say violence isn't the answer? Is that a resignation or is that a redemption? I mean, it's... I think that, like, I generally agree with Brian in the sense that, like, Mm -hmm. I have, like, already described the cops, like, in this movie as a sort of, like, uh, secondary source of terror for the town, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, like, they are, like, the kind of cops that don't know how to do their jobs without causing collateral damage. And so, I guess in a way if there is any sort of like redemption to be had by the end, it is that he quits his job because he sort of like grants the fact that like 
he doesn't know what he's doing and he is finally sort of able to see like all of the violence that like they as investigators have perpetrated on the ordinary people in the town. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you know, you, I, as you're describing that, I just realized that we never even talk about the wackest of the, the movie, which is literally that this guy gets thwacked in the leg by a nail I was like just ignores it. <laughs> <laughs> ignores it and then gets a random amputation and, and we're like, thus what loses the fuck? his superpower, which is jumping into the air and kicking people. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what to make of that. That's like what I think of as like the exact like bongian school of filmmaking that's like, buffy's mother that? dying of a brain tumor that's exactly. the thing that's just like exactly. why is like it's it's funny that like that is one of those things like you know i i've got so much shit going on in my life and then suddenly my car gets hit and i'm just like this is not a part of the plot this is a digression that i don't need because <laughs> what are we doing here and but it's i mean you know there's there's ways to read into the the rusty nail thing you know like the guy and I'm about to do it. He's not a scientist. He doesn't know that like, you know, tetanus is going to take his goddamn leg because it's a rusty, gross nail. And the doctor even says like, yeah, if you get like a little cut, it could be fine. But when it's a gross, rusted nail, that's a lot worse. So you can't just put some antibiotic on it and chill. This is a lot I worse. I don't think he put any antibiotic on <laughs> no, it. Yeah, no, no he did it. <laughs> didn't he, definitely, he said that, he, but he definitely was lying. I, I think I'm I think a he man. Poured, <laughs> he, he poured vodka or whatever, whatever you know, the South Korean equivalent so is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I John think McClane. it's also in sort of like one of the few ways where. I also really love this like rusty nail thing. Um, I think Robin is correct (laughs) in that it is like a very Bongian move to do. Like, I think partly because um, it's sort of like, I mean, there's like something karmic about it, right? Like he has spent all of his life just like kicking down suspects in the town. And so like now he is literally going to be unable to like kick anyone anymore. And I thought it was like really great that like this sign that you that the shot that tells you uh that this amputation is happening is when you see uh that cop's boots and then sort of like the weird little slipper thing that he wore over the boots so that like <laughs> And he looks he... so sad looking at the boot. <laughs> the like mean boot. <laughs> I used yes, to kick people other- and wear a booty to keep their teeth from scratching the leather of my yeah. shoes. And no but more. I think that's the other really great detail about this because uh, it sort of like deconstructs this idea of like the buddy cop dynamic where, mm-hmm. you know, like you're supposed to have this like, you're, I, I, I think that you can probably think of like a hundred movies that like fly through your head when you hear the phrase like buddy cop, right? And like the sort of like incredibly like moronic and like incredibly like almost random-ish way that like this partnership between the two bumpkin cops just falls apart and like the complete lack of glamour there is to it. You know, like it's no one's like last 
year of like right before retirement like it's nobody's like last case it, it's like it just sort of like falls apart due to this like freak accident um I really love that like there's just like so many of these uh details where Bong is really trying hard to like go against the grain of like what at least Hollywood thinks of a like police figure and that was just like another level of that for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course you said buddy cop. And the first thing I think of is Turner and Hooch. Oh, I thought rush hour, <laughs> which is yeah, uh, on HBO too. max right now. <laughs> I what's, what's interesting to me is um, Robin, you at some point had said like, you know, it's, it's crazy that they have like this beating torture room in the station. Um, and I, I made me think of other movies where like that's a thing that cops do, and it made me think of a mm-hmm. L.A. Confidential, mm. which if you watch that movie, like they go to a, an abandoned hotel on the outskirts of town to beat the shit out of gangsters to tell them to get out of L.A. And like, I might be. Go ahead. Oh, I was about to say, and like you know, at least then they're like doing a, a version of rendition. You know, at least then it's not in you know one police plaza. Which is in New York, I know. But anyway, uh, Ingrid, what were you going to say? This might be a stretch, but I think that the scene, I I think that like whenever, you know, someone was like tied up backwards, like hanging from the ceiling from their feet or whatever, Mm. like it actually reminded me a lot of like all of those images that we saw during the Iraq war and all of like the torture photos. Like Abu Ghraib. Yes. And so I might be off a little bit, but it also sort of made me wonder if this is sort of like further political commentary about how you can maybe in a time of like the brutal descent of like pro-democracy protesters, like it may be expected for like every police station to have a torture room. Like if if you're talking about sort of like a small, like random town in the middle of nowhere like this, then... Like, maybe not, but it also sort of, like, falls in line with all of the other depictions, the, like, very politicized depictions of the cops in this movie. Yeah. And one of the... One and of the, then it brings back to the... Oh, go ahead, Brian. Oh, well, I just, you know, to go back to LA Confidential, there's, like... I don't even care spoilers for LA Confidential. There's, like, a twist in that movie where it's, like, oh, right, the guy who set up, like, the secret beating room is the bad guy and you're just like huh maybe the clue should have been that he set up a secret task force to beat the shit out of people on the outskirts of town <laughs> like why would i see that and assume that he's just a hard-nosed guy who's on a crusade for goodness like it is it kind of there's someone wrong with him right especially and like in this movie like you know you still want these guys to catch the killer but it's it's a lot more immediate, I think. And I don't know if that's just of my age or like what's going on in the world right now, but I see the, the, the let's beat a confession out of the guy room. And I'm just immediately like, Oh, I'm not on these guys side. Like this isn't like LA confidential where I'm like, Oh, Dudley, you know, that's just the way you did it back in the forties, I guess. Um, As long as we're sort of on the subject of like random ass bongian shots Mm-hmm. One that I really wanted to note is that you have these like random moments where Tongago's character is receiving these like 
really random seeming medical treatments. And mm-hmm. one of them is like when he and his girlfriend, who is a nurse, are outside, he is getting some sort of like IV fluid in him. And there's just like baby goats frolicking around. <laughs> I love that scene. It seemed like was- completely random. And I don't know, like, I guess like, I mean, a big part of this movie is sort of like this juxt- this juxtaposition between like, a kind of like rural wholesomeness and like all of the secrets the land is like keeping from the townspeople, right? Oh, to that, I, I, to that scene. Oh, so it's like David Lynch, is it? <laughs> yes, there's an ear and then ah, worms squimming around it. <laughs> what I was going to say is there's um another great moment like that is when that woman is walking to bring her husband his umbrella. And so you've got the, the, the rice patties and then the factory just in the middle of them. And then, you know, she starts to run and you get that that crazy ass shot of the guy scrambling out of the patty like on all fours mm-hmm. to catch her. And that's just everything that you just said, Ingu, like rolled into one and then plus thunder and lightning. Yeah, yeah. that movie or that um, scene freaked <laughs> me out. And then I I kind of noted what they thought the killer looked like. I remember floppy hair. And then, you know, in the film, the the person that becomes like the main suspect has, you know, he's a pretty boy. He's got the hair. He's got like, like a little sort of um, like a China doll, you know, very like very cute and and delicate. He's got soft and then hands. I looked at the yeah, and then you look at the picture of the real serial killer, and there's like a resemblance there. There's that same sort of like beauty in in that face and the and the there's something about the longish hair and you're just like oh i would never have taken this person for a killer like i don't know like a face reader like some of those characters (laughs) (laughs) well so i know i yeah (laughs) did you see did you see the um the there was a new york times article when he first i guess started confessing and um there's a picture on it and it it is of a photograph of the killer from high school and the police composite sketch did anyone see that no okay i'm gonna i'm gonna send it to y'all um i'm gonna try to send it to y'all it's not working right now so i'm gonna have to do this later but they are very very similar like so clearly they there was some of that like there was a little bit of like they they kind of got they, they kind of nailed it they yeah. they knew who they were going for but you know that's not enough of a that's not enough of a similarity to go on yeah which is I terrible. don't think they look that similar at all who the killer and the yeah the actor I mean it's not that they facially look similar it was just that the the casting the or the costuming you don't think the composite looks oh, like sorry. this guy. No, I don't. No, think the so. nose and the mouth. The nose is really different. And the chin. No. Mm, I don't know. I would. I would. I gotta. I gotta figure out. I'm gonna try to send this to everyone over the Zoom, and we can do a poll. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure, Jeff. A straw poll. Um, <laughs> speaking of uh, sort of Bongian, you know. Yeah, those guys making techniques. Look the same dude. Oh my god! Yes, they do. I'm I gonna look right do. now. Um, the scene in the karaoke bar. Oh my God! Does yeah. not look like him. He looks like a little alien boy, and he <laughs> looks like a human man. 
Yeah. <laughs> he looks like an... Okay. This is the second time you've brought up aliens in two weeks. What is happening? I'm reading a lot of ufology on Reddit. So. We're like, yeah, the tree of life has very obvious Christian overtones. And you're like, it made me think of aliens. <laughs> <laughs> it did. It still does. That's my interpretation of that film. Uh, no, this person looks nothing like this composite. Um, but anyway, the, the karaoke bar. Uh, did that, any, like, alight anybody? I Again, the use of women in that scene, so fascinating to me. Just, like, here are these sex pots in the background. Like, what are they doing? Are they just there? Like, I, I don't know. Was so interesting, and and so many of um, again he plays with comedy in a way that should be very uncomfortable for a film with these particular themes, especially rape and murder. And yet he integrates it so well. Um, it, yeah, just a really really fascinating scene, in in my opinion, the conversations they have, the anger, the the humor. Um, yeah, very I classic. <laughs> I think that like the one thing that I, I was like watching this movie and I did get to a point where I was like, I wonder if there's like one single thing I don't like about this movie. And then I think like very quickly after I had that thought, there was like one scene uh, where I was like, hmm. Okay, I will preface this by saying I think of uh, Bong Joon-ho as like, a, you know, as far as like, directors as far as male directors go i think he is pretty good on women um i remember watching mm -hmm. his first film uh which i think came out something like three years before this one um i remember watching it and being impressed that like his first feature like out of the gate um had like this like weird random storyline involving pregnancy discrimination in the work place for you know like it i was like I, bong joon ho has like paid attention to his classes like while like a mm -hmm. sociology major like i don't think of him as like someone who uh is, i i think of him as like someone who is like pretty good when pretty thoughtful when depict when depicting female characters but the one scene that like really rubbed me the wrong way was there's like a scene uh, very late in the movie where I think uh, it's either one of the cops imagining what uh, one of these murders is like, or it's just sort of like, um, sort of like this like collective idea of like what uh, these murders is like. And basically you like have the this, fantasy or just like what the popular imagination, like mm -hmm. how like everyone sees it. Um, and you have, that's just like extremely passive young female victim who like when she's being carried with like her um with her wrists tied like behind her like to her ankles which does yes. not seem like a remotely comfortable position and oh she's like being carried through the air in that position and then there's like a scene where she's sort of like lying on the ground very she's, passively it's and she's hogtied and he's carrying her like she's a messenger bag it's like he's got her the yeah. binding slung over his shoulder. It was or a piece of meat. Oddly, like, like a butcher. Yeah, it was just weirdly. I mean, like 
it's already a hum- dehumanizing position to be in, but then to be carried in that manner is just somehow worse. It feels. But the thing that like bothered yeah. me about that particular depiction is that like she's completely passive, and I just like it's just like very weird. I, I think that like you know like people go into shock or whatever, but it just like seemed a little bit weird to me that this victim. I agree. Uh, just that like, stood out to me as well. Ingo. Did not seem stood to. to be registering that like they were going to be murdered and therefore will, like struggle against it was like a bdsm thing she's the one who yeah. lived right? like <laughs> that's that's what? the woman who the that's the what? woman who lived right i don't think so no like at the oh. very end all right i i i for whatever reason because i feel like the only time we saw that much no i think was, that was we're talking that about two different scenes because the woman oh, yeah. who survived she has like a very strategic decision to try to stay alive as much as possible. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. with this one, you don't get any sort of interiority to her. And so her passivity, uh, there's not sort of like a narrative reason for it. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause I was yeah. going to say, I'm, I'm, you know, she's the one who lived. So I think her, cause she, the woman who lived is like, I kept my eyes down, you know, I kept my chin tucked to my chest, like, you know, and you're kind of given to believe that like, maybe it is that level of, of submission that you know he didn't feel like he had to kill her because she wasn't a threat to his his uh his freedom so i don't know but yeah you 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 know like i I said yeah i I don't recall that sequence either i'm 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 on brian's i recall the sequence i've just misplaced it in the movie somewhere so i'm Mm. i'm yeah it was like this it was like the second to last murder or one of the last ones it was it was definitely the end and she's in her slip am i correct Ingo? like she's in her slip she's she's slung over his shoulders and just sort of i mean taking it is like the worst way to put it <laughs> but you know what i mean like i don't know at the point that you've been tied something... up like that maybe you just don't have anything left in you, you know? it was There's... rope play it wasn't like she's about to be murdered that's what it looked like right yes me. she's a total rope bunny that's what we're saying i mean like <laughs> if you just like imagine like the logistics of being slung over someone's shoulders while you're a hog tied like your body weight like all of your body weight would like go on your around your wrists and your ankles. Like that sounds mm-hmm. incredibly painful. Oh yeah, as it like someone yeah. who awful. when they do planks, I'm like, oh my god, like it's so hard. A braggart, okay. <laughs> okay, a plank is not hard. My yeah, point is that like your body weighs a lot, and so for like all of that to be like restrained against rope, like that sounds so incredibly painful. That like the idea that like someone could be stopped still in that position just sort of made me i i feel like there's just like so much uh a kind of like like de-glamorized naturalism in the movie and then you have this like very like hyper aestheticized yeah, hyper unrealistic scene. shot and like mm-hmm. it took me yes. out of the movie for that reason yeah I, I had the same reaction i'm really glad you brought that up interesting now i need it now just I seems need so like because i could not imagine what that would feel like <laughs> you know like probably terrible i have to imagine it would be terrible and how you your response would be you know it's like when in films when people are treated like rag dolls i it just takes me out of the movie because i just keep thinking like 
you survive that fall. <laughs> like you, you, if you were out cold for seven minutes, you would have a traumatic brain injury. <laughs> like, yeah, that's my favorite. Um, just taken out of the movie. <laughs> my favorite running joke in in the television series Archer is every time someone gets punched and knocked out and like then tell people about it, they immediately say like, "Oh my god, you need to go get an MRI." It's just like, yeah, exactly. I'm going to see a neurologist on Monday. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Brian, of course I have to ask this, which is, (laughs) did Cora watch this movie? Cora did not watch this movie. Um, I, she did. Okay. We we are, we are putting a kibosh on the Cora. Did Cora watch this? Why? Until he tells us that Cora watched it, because otherwise it's. It's going to keep turning into this where we ask him and he's like, no. And we're like, okay. <laughs> it's such a short. It's, it's a such feature a short, now. It's, it's a, a short feature, too, because a lot of times she hasn't watched the movie. I was <laughs> I was I, I waited to watch this movie until long after she'd gone to bed, because there was a part of me that was worried that she would hear people speaking Korean and think it was Minari and try to come down and watch it. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I think you overestimate her cognitive abilities. You know, you'd think that. As a yeah. four-year-old. <laughs> she has good language uh, recognition. She just obviously doesn't speak any of it. Mm, sure. Uh, just like, this is a four-year-old. Ingu, uh, he's referencing the fact that his daughter can't read, but loved Minari, even still, even though she couldn't understand the dialogue or read the dialogue. Yeah, yes. she enjoyed so that one. <laughs> okay. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, are there any... Uh, does anyone have any final or continuing thoughts on uh, Memories of Murder? Anything that we haven't touched on in this film that we would like to discuss? I have a question for Ingu. Yes, I have a question, uh, which is, Ingu, when you interviewed Bong Joon-ho, did you talk with him about this movie? Do you remember anything he might have said about it? No, because we did not discuss this movie. <laughs> okay. I just I was curious if it came up in any of your conversation, but it did not. Was I that don't just think so? Was it were you just talking about Parasite? Um, I think we were basically talking about his uh career as like a whole. Um mm-hmm. I'm trying to like remember it's such a long time ago and I did the interview like right after Red Eye Flight, so it's <laughs> A complete <laughs> blur at this point. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, I don't think I have anything. I did. I, I will say this. Um, because for uh, that slate piece, I had watched so many of his movies in rapid succession. I kept noticing a lot of the same tropes over and over again. And one of them is uh, basically these like surprise kicks, uh, these like flying kicks through the air. He loves doing this. Uh, there's like actually a really good one in Mother, which is like a beautiful compliment to this movie. And I think even better than this one. Um, and like that movie also plays with like the genre of like the police pursuit, police procedure in really interesting ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, I sort of like asked him about the kicks, and I think like he seemed really like confused <laughs> by the question. So I guess like he didn't really notice that he repeated this so often, which like I thought was interesting <laughs> because he's such a because he's so like known for the little details in his 
um, movie that like now there's this like neologism in Korean called like a bong tail, which is sort of like a hyper specific bong detail. So like they're called bong tails, which is like a terrible neologism, but I guess it works uh, <laughs> over there. Um, I did want to say that the uh, like in the angrier uh, bumpkin cop is not the only one who does the kicks. Um, I think like one of my favorite facts, one of the, like my favorite scenes in this movie is that the way that uh, Song Kang Ho's uh, cop and the city cop first meet is that like Song Kang Ho's cop like just like ambush kicks him like down yeah. the hill and apparently <laughs> oh yeah I forgot about that <laughs> yes I mean like talk about meat cutes and apparently <laughs> like Song uh, like did th- like improvise this and like the other <laughs> actor had no idea it was coming um yeah I mean like filmmaking man sometimes it is a fucking adventure sometimes you know you just improvise a flying kick down the hill i do your unsuspecting co-worker <laughs> i do love the fact that you you like i can almost like imagine his his brain breaking as you're like so uh so bong what's up with all the flying kicks and he's just like <laughs> what are you like what are you talking is... about i don't what that's it, no i don't do that <laughs> It's so funny that you mentioned that because, you know, I've I've done my fair share of interviews with directors and creatives and stuff like that. And it just seems like you like I'm not saying that you worked specifically very hard on that. I don't know if you did or didn't, but like you put a lot of effort and energy into like noticing themes and noticing this and noticing this stuff that like is a recurring theme or, you know, something like that. And then you ask them and they're like, I have no fucking clue what you're talking about. And you're like, are you like, what the fuck? Like, this is in every single one of your movies. I I brought it up last week. Never meet your heroes. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like I asked Tim Burton what his thing was with black and white. And he was like, (laughs) oh yeah, you said that. I I, like, he was like, I don't know. My thing was black black and white. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, that one's nuts because I feel like. I mean, even the women he goes for with the creamy skin and the black hair you don't think you have Watch a thing out, for like <laughs> what <laughs> Tim Burns coming for you I'll take that as a compliment <laughs> but seriously you don't have a thing for like chiaroscuro women like, it would be okay yeah, if yeah. I walked up into a woman in a bar you know post well I am I'm fully vaccinated now but like you know post COVID you walk up to <laughs> her in a bar and you say you look like the type of woman that Tim Burton would date do you think that's a good pickup line? Hmm. <laughs> that's a very specific hmm. thing to say out loud. Here's to the thing. I think if you don't know, I think if the girl <laughs> takes it as a compliment, you have found like a partner for life. Yeah. Or, like that, you got to put, niche. you got to throw it out. <laughs> <laughs> right. If she even understands it, you're in good company, but <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Brian, that that is that is turning your back to the basket and throwing a shot overhead <laughs> and it going in and you just being like nailed it. All yes, right. I, I will it. never try this again, but I, I am one for one, right? But also just this idea that like you look like a woman that another guy would fuck is like not exactly. <laughs> I didn't say fuck. I said date. I don't think Tim Burton has ever had Sure jams. <laughs> <laughs>
Anyway, I so is that the end of the podcast? I, 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 I think <laughs> that, like, uh, as I watched this movie for the second time, knowing that it does not end in the resolution of the case, um, I was just, like, sort of just, like, really enjoying the, like, for lack of a better word, like, the journey of it, where, like, you, the cops are sort of just, like, going for one extreme, to like, one extreme possibility or one like hopeless source of information to another, um, you know, like they go to the shaman and they like, um, Songao's character goes to the bathhouse and just like, he's like clawing at like any possibility. And I love the fact that like, when they hear about this, like school, like toilet dweller or whatever, that, like, <laughs> the, the ghost in the yeah, toilet so- in the outhouse. <laughs> It's so funny to me that, like, all of these, like, you know, I, I, I think, like, one of the really interesting things is, like, the way that, like, you have this, like, fear and it gets refracted through the town by the people according to, like, their own experiences, right? And so, like, these middle school girls are like, oh, we heard this, like, crazy rumor that there's, like, like a toilet dweller. Um, and, like, he's the killer and he comes <laughs> out at night. And it's, like, exactly the type of, like, thing that, like, a middle school, like, would get really up in a tizzy about. And then they actually, like, just so run out of clues that they go to the school's bathrooms. I love and- <laughs> how he even says that. He's like, I don't I don't have time to go to the bathroom. And then the cut is to him. Like, okay, I guess I'm at the outhouse now. <laughs> and he yeah. meets the most fascinating person in the whole movie, which is this woman with the cropped hair. And I just wanted more of her. I don't, is she a teacher? <laughs> like, she, I don't know who she was. Was she the school nurse? Because she was wearing a white jacket thing. But I thought she was. I thought she was just so interesting. But <laughs> more then, of like, her. That, that woman also like leads you to like the only known survivor of like the killer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it actually ends up being like a useful tip. Um, and so yeah, like there's just like. I just, like, love the kind of, like, meandering quality of this, even though, like, it's so, like, hyper-controlled by Bong, but just, like, Mm -hmm. that sense of, like, swimming in, like, a water that, like, you can't see, like, like, one foot past or whatever, and then just sort of, like, completely adrift. Oh, never mind. That's just like my way of saying I love this movie so much. And like the thing that <laughs> trying to do, it does so well. Except for that one scene with like the passive victim. But, <laughs> you know. It's pretty good if you can only pick out one scene that you didn't totally jibe with. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. What? Wow, we all liked a movie. We are amazing. I know. Um, Next yes, week. we, not Bong, but like yeah. we. <laughs> we for being so smart, all of us collective. Congratulations, all of us, for liking this movie. <laughs> 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 um, next week, we're going to, I think we're talking about Oxygen, right? The new film by. Uh... Yes, we are. Yeah. yeah. Guest to be announced. TBD, um, TBA, either either one. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm wondering if uh, we'll all fall in line on that one, too. Oh, crap. I just remembered. I have to write a review of that. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I don't do a lot of written reviews anymore. I uh, consistently forget that I have to do it. Because it's homework. It's a lot of work. I got got things happening. But I'm looking forward to doing it. Uh, I have seen the movie. I will not tell anyone what I think. Uh, You can read it in my published review. 
Do we have any more thoughts on Memories of Murder before we sign off for today? Aye. All right. Sounds good. So that is it. That is our review of Memories of Murder. Again, this is now on Criterion Collection. And you can stream it on Hulu. Um, and we all uh, heartily suggest that you do that because it's a fantastic movie. So that's it. Um, this is usually the point where I ask Robin what we're talking about next week, but we've already talked about it. It is Oxygen, <laughs> uh, the newest film from uh, Alex Aja, and that stars Melanie Laurent. And it will be on Netflix, so you can check it out when it drops on the 12th. Wednesday, I think. Yeah. Yeah, the 12th, which is Wednesday. Um, so yeah, so check it out and then come and listen to us talk about it. Um, don't forget that we are brought to you by Mubi, M-U-B-I.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial of Mubi. Uh, get on it and enjoy it. They've got their cliffhanger series happening. And don't forget to go to patreon.com slash show to give us your money. And that Ooh. is all for today. So let's tell the fine people at home where you can be found between now and our next episode. Ingrid Kang, where can people find your work online? Um, I'm a, I'm, sorry, I'm at the Hollywood Reporter. I'm on Twitter at Ingu King, I N K O O K A N G. And if people want to read more about my personal obsession with Bong Joon Ho, um, as I said, I have written a pretty extensive uh, piece about like him as a filmmaker throughout his filmography for Slate. And I also wrote the Criterion essay for their release of Parasite. Awesome. And it's great. And I've read it many times. Many times? Yes, more than twice. (laughs) I've had Robin read multiple drafts. Okay. I'm just picturing Robin like handing the book jacket to her partner and just being like, hey, yeah, can you, uh, you you know, bedtime story? You want (laughs) to give me a read of this? Nick's true nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Bill Graham, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG. You can also find me uh, mixing it up on the Slack channel. All right. Robin Barr. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. You can find uh, my writing sometimes at The Hollywood Reporter. Um, and you can also find me on Letterboxd, where I will give a seemingly low rating to your favorite movies. It's really because I just rate out of four stars. Why can't you just... For the love of God. Just make the... Use the fifth star. Why... No, I refuse. It's not in my nature. It's not how I was raised, which is on the New York Post rating system out of four stars. <laughs> that is what I. That is the paradigm for all of my rating systems. Look, I was Thank raised you. on Roger Ebert. He did four stars too, but I've adapted. Yeah. Of. No, I don't do the math on it. Out of four, the fifth that's, star is elusive. That's like my favorite thing about writing a review is I write it and then I hand it off to Jordan. And I'm like, I don't know what the rating is. You tell me. <laughs> I am terrible at rating movies. Um, on that note, yeah, uh, I guess uh, look for my review of Oxygen on thefilmstage.com, where you can also find every episode of this year podcast and a lot more writings from me. You can also find my writings at my personal site, BrianJeroen.com. And of course, find me on all the social medias at BrianJeroen. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. <laughs>